Has anybody ever done anything epic? Who said yes? Sean, you were the first person to say yes. What, what, what did you do that was epic? You front flipped into the end zone. Did you land on your feet? Lame. I'm just kidding. Who else? Anybody else done something epic? I can't see any hands. I haven't. I can't see any epic, epic, any epic out there. Aaron, what'd you do? You gainered off a cliff. Sweet. Did you make it? Did you die? Congratulations. Okay. Um, I I think it's cool to do things that are crazy. Yeah, I, I totally love cliff diving. Um, I've never done a front flip into into the end zone of a football field. I think that'd be pretty cool. I'm not sure I'll ever get the opportunity, but if I do, I'll definitely do it, and I'm going to land on my feet to one-up Sean. Oh, snap. Oh, snap. Oh. Um, so anyway, but, but I have done a few epic things. Um, I, anybody in here like the outdoors, outdoorsy people? Anybody? A couple people? Um, in Tennessee, we have a lot of outdoors. Um, like we have yards, which are kind of outdoors um, with grass and trees and stuff. But I remember growing up, um, I remember like, like hiking and camping, um, the camp we went to, like that me and Daniel grew up at, like our, our summer camp, uh, we didn't have air conditioning like anywhere. Um, it was like on a lake There was like huge, like seriously, the bugs that we had at camp, like those bugs would like run and cry if they saw the bugs that we had at camp. Um, like crazy animals everywhere. Um, but it was super awesome. And I love the outdoors. And when I first came out here, um, you guys know there's like this whole little southern cult that moved out here with us. And so like one thing that really like made us feel at home, me and my buddy Jordan, we would go up to Mount Charleston and we would hike. And I think within like, with like a, within a year of like both of us being out here, we had done like every trail at Mount Charleston except for one. Uh, the only thing we hadn't done is, is the Mount Charleston Peak. Ever, anybody, has anybody in the room ever done Mount Charleston Peak? Too scared? It's just a trail. You need to walk. Um, I'm scared of walking. Sorry. Um, <laughs> So, so we, did, uh, we did Mount Charleston Peak. It's this 18-mile loop um, that you start uh, down by Cathedral Rock at like, you know, 7,000 feet, something like that, maybe 8,000 feet, and you climb up to almost 12,000 feet. Uh, when you get to the top, yeah, it's pretty gnarly. When you get to the top, supposedly you can see like Phoenix and you can see like Mount Whitney, which is in California. Supposedly you can see like this massive amount of land space, supposedly. When we got up there, it was kind of cloudy. We went up there like in the morning, so I guess we should have waited, but we didn't. Um, but, but here's what I remember about Mount Charleston. We decided to do it over Thanksgiving break. Have you ever Thanksgiving break, anybody? It doesn't really get cold here by Thanksgiving break, but when you're on Mount Charleston um, and it's like three degrees, you're, you literally think you're about to die. I remember we set up our camp. We set up our tent. We didn't do like a day hike. We, we, we hiked in halfway, set up our camp, and then we, we kept going the next day. And I remember going in there. It was starting to get dark that night. Um, and I was like, hey, Jordan, we should, uh, we should like, set up camp or something. Jordan's like an Eagle Scout. And I make sure if I ever go outdoors, I always have somebody with me that knows what they're doing because I'll, like, get eaten by a bear or something. Um, so I had Jordan with me. He's an Eagle Scout. Like, that means he can make, like, fire out of, like, butter and wood. Um, so, like, he's incredible. And so we get up there, and, like, the only place we can find that's not, like, crazy sharp dagger rocks is, uh, is this little, like, kind of ravine thing there's a peak here and there's a peak here and we're like right in the middle and so of course like all the wind all night long just keeps like rushing through there three times during the night our tent blew over on top of us the only reason it stayed is because we were in it um 
But it was crazy. Uh, usually when you're camping, like inside your tent, it's usually about 10 to 15 degrees warmer than it is outside. And I think our tent that night was like 10 or 11 degrees. Uh, we were literally freezing all night long. I remember one night, uh, one, one time I rolled over in the night and, um, and I looked over. I was like, oh, man, I'm so glad the night's over. I, we had fallen asleep a little bit earlier. I was like, man, I'm so glad the night's over. That was brutal. That was awful. And I look over and I grab my watch and it's 8.45 p.m. I'm like, this is going to be the worst night of my life. It was literally, it was literally awful. Like, it was awful. Like, so, so bad. And I don't remember, like, seeing the peak, standing on the peak. I have pictures, so I obviously did it. But I remember the crazy hikes. And I remember, like, us just being like, crazy. We almost got lost one time. I remember all this crazy stuff about the journey. Uh, but, but I so remember, like, when we got on top, the winds were, like, brutal. It was like, it was like one of those winds, you know, like where, you know where you, like, lean out? I can't do it right now because there's no wind. But, like, you lean out and, the, like, wind holds you up. It was like one of those. It was like 80 miles an hour on the top. And it was super cool when we get up to the top. But what I remember is, is, is the walk up there. What we're diving into tonight here at Refuge, we're diving into a, a, one of Paul's letters. We're going to walk through a chapter of the Bible verse by verse. And the chapter of the Bible we're going to walk through is the book of Philippians. And the chapter is chapter 2. The reason I tell you that story is because Philippians chapter 2, it's like one of those great mountain peaks. It's like one of those great climaxes of the Bible. Like so many verses in Philippians chapter 2, if I were to tell you, like if we read through it right now, you would know those verses because they're verses you've heard before. So much about who Jesus is, so much about his character, so much about the apostle Paul. It's contained in Philippians chapter 2. And so it's this great mountain peak. And I hope that as we journey through this for the next three, four, five weeks, that, that we don't just like read through it and say, okay, cool, now I'm a little bit smarter, a little bit smarter about the Bible. Now I know who God is a little bit more. But I hope we enjoy what God's teaching us. And I hope while we, while we dive into this, we're going to remember this. It's like one of those monumental times in our life. And everything we look at here isn't going to be comfortable. Everything's not going to be awesome. But I hope as we journey through Philippians chapter 2, that it's going to be an awesome time for us. But before we jump into chapter 2, obviously, if you just pick up a book, most books, if it's a good book, if you just pick up in chapter 2, you're going to miss some stuff. So what I want to do tonight, really quick, I hope, um, is I want to walk you through uh, three simple questions about this book of Philippians. Because we can say Philippians all we want, but if we don't know who wrote the book, if we don't know who it's to, if we don't know why it was written, then we're going to miss a whole lot in Philippians chapter 2. So we can't just jump right in. Um, so hopefully I'm going to get do some backstory, and, uh, and then we'll dive into Philippians in the next couple weeks. Um, so here's the deal. The Apostle Paul, anybody ever heard of him? Can anybody tell me anything about Paul? Nobody? Alec. He wrote what? He wrote most of the New Testament, yes. Anybody else? Somebody else? Paul? Yes, J.C.? He struck by lightning. Okay, I can kind of fudge that. Struck by lightning, maybe. There was a bright light. Yes. I can kind of, I can kind of get that. Mo Money, is that you? His name used to be Saul. That's what I'm talking about, Mo Money. Um, so here's the deal. This guy that used to be named Saul um, kind of got struck by lightning, um, and God changed his name to Paul. I keep sitting on this, and something's going crazy here. Um, so anyway, uh, so, so this guy named Paul... Um, Greatest, one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived. Um, he wrote 13 books in the New Testament. He wrote most of the New Testament. And, and the parts they didn't write about the New Testament, some of the parts that he even didn't write, they contain stories about him. 
Like he's a baller. Next to Jesus, Paul might be the greatest character in the New Testament. And so as we dive in, um, we have to know that Paul wrote this letter. Uh, So it's A.D. 50, 50 years after Jesus was born. um, This guy named Paul and his team and his crew, whatever, they are on a missionary journey. Paul went on a couple missionary journeys. This is on his second one. And it's A.D. 50, and, and Paul gets a vision. Paul gets a word from God, and he says, Hey, Paul, I want you to go to a region called Macedonia. And so Paul goes to Macedonia, and while he's in Macedonia, um, he goes to a city called Philippi. And in Philippi, he's there just, just a little bit of time, um, and he hears, and the whole time they're trying to share the gospel with these people. People have never heard who Jesus is. They're trying to tell people about Jesus. And so Paul goes, um, and he hears about these ladies who are down by the river. And so Paul goes down by the river, um, and there's these ladies, and one of the ladies, her name's Lydia. And we don't know much about Lydia, but what we do know is that the Bible says she was a seller of fine purple linens. So Lydia's a businesswoman. And so Paul goes, and his team goes down there with him, Silas and Timothy, those guys. Um, they go down there, and they're hanging out, and they explain the gospel to Lydia. And, and you, have to, you have to tell my... Christ. Am I working, Daniel? Okay. Um, Lydia's whole family comes to Christ. And then while they're in Philippi, so they start a Bible study in Lydia's home. While they're in Philippi, they meet this lady, and this lady's demon-possessed. And the demon that's inside her causes her to be like a psychic. She's like a fortune teller. And so these guys um, are extorting her, her demon possession, are extorting her talents, um, and using them to make money. And so one day, they're walking to the city of Philippi, and this lady's like making fun of them. These demons inside this lady are making fun of them. Um, and Paul turns around and like casts the demon out. It's like, yo, 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 seriously, dude, get out of here. And immediately the demon leaves, and this lady starts to follow Jesus. Well, the guys that were uh, extorting the woman, um, they're not happy about this. Obviously, it's their way of making money. So they, they go to Paul and Silas, and they say, seriously, you guys, um, this is not cool. You've got to leave. You've got to get out of here. And Paul's like, no, we're not leaving. And so they throw him into prison. Paul and Silas, and they throw him into prison. Some of you might have heard this story before. And so Paul and Silas are in prison. They're in this, in this Philippian jail. And, uh, and while they're there, um, it, it says that it's about midnight. So it's like super late in the evening. And, uh, and Paul and Silas are singing. They're rejoicing. And they're praising God in the midst of these awful circumstances. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that the jail starts to shake. And then all the doors in the whole prison, they like come flying open. And this, of course, startles the jailer, the guy who's in charge, the warden there. Um, and he grabs his sword, and he's ready to kill himself. Because in that day, if a prisoner escapes, it's not like on 24, not 24, it's not like on prison break where they can just like leave and it's like, okay, whatever, nothing really happens. Um, the jailer, the warden, would be killed right on the spot because he lost those prisoners. And so this guy's ready to kill himself. And Paul says, hey, hey, bro, whoa, whoa. watch yourself. Nobody left yet. Nobody's gone. And the jailer, of course, is stunned. And then he says to, uh, to Paul and Silas, he says, whoa, 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 guys, what do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do to start to follow this God that does miracles like this? And so the jailer comes to Christ, and then his whole family comes to Christ. And right there, the first church on the continent of Europe is born with a businesswoman and her family, a former demon-possessed lady, and a, a jail jailer, a warden, at a prison in his family. And that's the first church on the continent of Europe. But this church, it was so close to Paul's heart. They continually supported him. Paul made another journey. He, on his third missionary journey, 
Paul made sure to stop back by Philippi because he loved these people so much, because these people cared for him so much, because Paul had such a deep relationship to these people. And so as Paul writes this letter, this is the kind of thing he's talking about. And so it's 10 years later, and Paul's in Rome. Uh, why is Paul in Rome? Paul's in prison again. Like, if, if you read Paul's story over and over and over again, Paul talks about, man, I was shipwrecked, and I was thrown in prison, and I was beaten, and I was stoned. Paul goes through all this stuff because he won't stop sharing the gospel. And so it's 10 years later, after Paul planted this church, and Paul writes a letter from this Roman prison. Paul articulates the letter. A guy named Timothy writes it down, and a guy named Epaphroditus is the one who actually carries the letter. Now, when Paul writes this, Paul is under house arrest. Not only is he in jail, but he's under house arrest. That means 24-7, he is chained to a Roman guard. And so Paul writes this letter, and this letter's incredible. But if it was me or you writing it, would we write the same letter? Our circumstances are crazy all around us. We're in prison, we're chained to a guard 24-7. And Paul writes this letter that's filled with joy. And Paul writes this letter that says, don't give up the faith. Paul writes this letter that says, dude, guys, it's worth it. Paul writes this letter to the Philippians. So we'll kind of backtrack for just a second. Um, who wrote the book? Obviously, Paul wrote the book. A little bit of, um, little bit of info about Paul. Um, in the first chapter, the first verse of Philippians, Paul says this, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to, to saints in Jesus Christ who are in Philippi, including overseers and deacons. So Paul introduces the letter. He says, hey, who's writing this? Paul and Timothy. Now, Timothy, scholars say, didn't write any of the letter. Paul spoke the letter, and Timothy write it down. So Paul's just giving Timothy like a cool shout-out here. Paul, like we said, wrote 13 books in the New Testament. And, and what's very interesting here is that Paul, out of all the things he says, he says, I, Paul, a bondservant. Can you imagine what a bondservant is? Anybody know? Bondservant, 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 bondservant. I can't, is your hand up? Patrick, go for it. Anybody going to top that? That's right. <laughs> Hang class. Legit. Bond servant. That's what a bond servant is. Paul, the, the crazy thing is here, Paul says, hey, I, Paul, am writing this letter and I'm a slave. Why would he do that? Because he could have written, hey, I'm Paul, I'm a church planner. Hey, I'm Paul, I, I, I'm, I'm going to write 13 books of the New Testament. Hey, I'm Paul, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. Hey, I'm Paul, I'm, a, I'm a, literally... I'm a Hebrew citizen. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Like, according to the law, Paul was found blameless. He goes, he could say, I'm Paul. I'm a citizen of Rome, which in that day carried so much weight. Pharisees in that day, um, we look at them as the bad guys most of the time. Pharisees in that day were the most highly respected um, people in the Jewish culture. And Paul said, man, I'm blameless. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a Roman citizen. Paul could have said, man, I'm, a, I'm an apostle. Paul could have said, man, I've done everything right. But Paul instead says, hey, I'm Paul, and I'm a slave. That's crazy. A bondservant, just like Patrick said, is a slave. Here's two, two things about a bondservant. Paul says, I'm a slave of Jesus. Paul says he completely he serves someone else. So that's, that's who Paul is. That's, that's the guy that wrote the letter. Second question, 
Who's the letter to? Um, if, you, if you look right here, um, once again in Philippians chapter 1, um, I, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, and he says, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. So who's the letter to? Saints. Now, when, when we hear the word saints, we think about like, like, like some super Christian, right? Um, we think about somebody that's been sainted by the church. But, but here's, here's, here's what the saint literally means. The word saint means set apart ones. Ones who are following Christ. So if I look around this room, here's what it's saying. Paul's writing this letter to saints. People who are set apart, and that's us. That's believers. That's Christians. That's people who choose to follow Jesus. Paul is writing this letter to saints, to people just like you and just like me. And he says two things. He says you are set apart in Jesus. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says when we trust Jesus. In 2 Corinthians it says this. It says he made him God. God made Jesus. He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Here's what Paul says. He says, you're saints, you're set apart. You're set apart in Jesus. Theologians, like really smart Bible people, they call that the great exchange. God takes our sin, our junk, our shame, the the places where we fail, and in turn looks at us and says, I give you Jesus' righteousness. That's That's what this means. Our bank account, completely empty. We're totally bankrupt. God says, I give you the riches of Jesus. So Paul says, I write this letter to saints, to people who are in Jesus, to people um, who have been given the message of Christ, to people who have fallen in love with God. He says, one, I I write it to people who are in in Jesus, saints who are in Jesus. Second thing he says, he says people, saints in Jesus, but who also are in Philippi. Paul wrote this to a specific group of people, the people who are in Philippi. But if we take that and transfer that over to us, Paul writes the same letter to the people who are in Jesus, who are in Las Vegas. He writes this for a very specific purpose. And he says, hey, saints, hey, Christians, who are in the cities that you are in, I'm writing this to you. Third thing, why did Paul write this letter? This church, just like I said, was super important to Paul throughout his whole life. Paul writes this letter to say thank you. This church made a huge investment into Paul. Um, As Paul went on these missionary journeys, this church funded him, and this church gave generously. They gave sometimes more than they had means to give. And Paul was so thankful for that. Um, Paul wrote this letter to deepen their devotion to Jesus. In in the book of Philippians, it averages saying the name of Jesus every other verse throughout the whole book. Paul wrote this to deepen their devotion to Jesus. And thirdly, Paul wrote this to remind them that the joy is in the journey, that it's not just about the mountaintop experience. That the joy sometimes is just in getting there. Paul wrote this to tell him the joy's in the journey. After Paul's been shipwrecked and now he's in prison in Rome, he doesn't say this here because he didn't know it, but Paul's about to be executed. Paul's about to be killed because he won't shut up about Jesus. And he writes them and he says, Hey guys, the joy, it's in the journey. The joy is in continuing to follow Christ. There's great hope because we have the message of Jesus. Joy is used 16 times in this book. And he's writing it from jail. If you and I were in the same position as Paul, 
will we be writing letters that are filled with joy? Our execution, our death is right around the corner. Will we be writing the same letters? Paul writes this letter to a church that he loves to say thank you, to deepen their devotion to Jesus, and then to remind them that there's great joy in following Jesus. And so tonight, with just a couple minutes I have left, and I promise I'll be quick, we're going to jump into Philippians chapter 2 and read just the first two verses, and then we'll be out of here tonight. Um, So if you have your Bibles, this is what Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 says. He says, therefore, in light of everything I've just told you, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and compassion, then make my joy complete, being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, and being intent on one purpose. I want to read in one other translation. Um, in the NLT it says this, Is there any encouragement in belonging to Christ? Any comfort in His love? Any fellowship together in His Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy. Make my joy complete by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Two quick things. Three quick things, kind of. Um, and, uh, and we'll be finished. Here's what Paul says here. He says, A relationship with Jesus is completely life-changing. All these words he uses here, they're relational words. He uses encouragement, comfort, love, fellowship, compassion. All these words are very relational words. They're not words that equate to religion. They're not words that say, man, if you can just do all this stuff for God, then God will love you. No, they're not that at all. He uses if-then statements. So what you could really do here, instead of saying, is there any care, if, if there's encouragement in loving Christ, you, you could really say, because. So if we reread it, it says, because there's encouragement in belonging to Christ, because there's comfort in his love, because there's fellowship with the Spirit, because there's compassion in your hearts. Here's what Paul says. He says, these are the differences now that we have a relationship with Christ. This is what we get to experience because we have a relationship with Christ to these people that he loves. This is what he's writing. He says, man, experience these things because a relationship with Jesus is life-changing. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm not encouraging. Sometimes I'm not comforting. Sometimes I'm not loving. Most of the time, um, fellow, I'm, not, I'm not always like trying to dive in and hang out with people. Dude, most of the time I'm not compassionate. But Paul says when we have a relationship with Jesus... That'll change, and that's the things that are going to overflow and be a part of us. This is not a verse about religion. Here's what religion is. What Paul says here is it's not about how much I can do for God. It's the fact that God wants to have a relationship with me, and God wants me to fall more in love with him. When Paul says encouragement, what does encouragement mean? Encouragement means if there's there's encouragement in belonging to Christ, it means God's got our back, and God wants the best for us. If there's comfort in God's love, that means God's there to pick us up when we feel completely alone. If there's fellowship with the Spirit, that means God is our family when we feel like no one else cares at all. It means God's compassionate. God empathizes with us. God knows our struggles. And then in verse 2, it says, if, if all that's true, if you have this relationship with God, then make my joy complete by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, by loving one another, 
and by working together with one mind and one purpose. Life change transforms my relationship with others. If we have this relationship with God that changes our life, then that change in our life is going to reflect in our relationship with others. Paul writes this letter not to one person. Paul writes this letter to a church, to a group of people. And Paul says, if you really love each other, if you're really a family, then this is how you're going to treat each other. If you look around this room, do we always treat each other by being of the same mind? Are we always like wholeheartedly involved in each other's lives? Are we always loving each other? Are we always working together for the same purpose? Because the group of people that Paul's writing to, they're going through the same struggles. They're going through the same junk. They're going through the same garbage that we're going through. And Paul writes to them and says, you have this relationship with Jesus. And if Jesus has really changed your life, then it's going to overflow. Then it's going to show itself in you loving each other. Because we've been changed, we should treat other people differently. Here's the deal. The basis of our relationships is no longer us, it's Jesus. So many times we like to hang out with people who are just like us. I want to hang out with people who enjoy art or who enjoy the same kind of music I like, um, who maybe like my favorite sports team, or maybe we like to go to the same places. Maybe we have kind of the same friends. Here's what, here's what Paul says here. Because you've been changed by Jesus. Your relationships should be built around Christ, not around something else. Refuge should be a place where when someone else walks in the door, when somebody new comes here, they should be able to know that there's something different about us, that we really love Jesus, that we're really pursuing Christ. Your your friends at school should be able to see that you're a follower of Jesus. Because of the way you love each other. Because of the way you have the same mind and are of the same purpose. And here's the deal. I know none of us are perfect. And I know we're going to have disagreements. But that's where we have to look back up to verse 1. And say, dude, I know that I'm not encouraging. Jesus, I know you want to be that through me. God, I know I'm not always loving. But I pray that you would be that through me. God, I know that I'm not as compassionate. But Jesus, would you be that through me? And as we fall more in love with Jesus, these things become evident in our lives. And as these things become more evident, it changes our relationships. And then people can really see that we love each other and they can follow Christ because they can honestly see something's different in us. Because I feel like a lot of times, I I know at least in me, I don't know about in you, but when I wake up on Mondays, It's hard to follow God. It's hard to be these things. But the more I press into Christ and the more I choose to spend time with God and to get to know Him better and the more I hang out with you guys and the more I hang out with my small group and we read together, we pray together or we're asking each other what's going on in our lives, the more I start to see that stuff. Paul writes this letter and he says, take heart, be joyful. I thank God for you. 
in the midst of whatever circumstances you're going through, in the midst of great persecution, in the midst of great trials, take heart, be joyful. Because where God has us right now is an incredible place. And though we can't see it, with perspective, we're going to be able to look back and see that the joy is really in where God has us right now. And it's not in the end. It's not in the climax. It may be not where we think it is. But we can find great joy. We can take heart in the journey that God has us on. That's the first two verses of Philippians chapter 2. We pray for us real quick. God, we say thank you tonight. That you're good. God, we thank you for a letter that was written 2,000 years ago. That you want to use in 2011 to speak to students in Las Vegas. God, I don't know the situations in this room. God, I don't know what you're doing in people's hearts. But God, I pray that you would would show us that where we are right now, no matter how hard, is a place of great joy. God, would you help us to follow you no matter the cost, just like Paul. God, I pray that the things we read in the scripture that we can't understand, that we can't do, God, that you would do those things through us. God, I pray as people in this room wake up all over the city tomorrow, that God, you would help them to press into you. You would help them to love you. And as they love you, you would be those things that we can't do. thank you that tonight we get to dig into what you're saying. Here's what we're going to do right now. Ben and the guys are just going to play. It's an opportunity for us to respond. Maybe you need to sit in your seat and say, God, those things aren't me, but I want those things. Maybe Maybe you need to pray grab your journal and write some stuff out maybe there's somebody in this room that you've got an issue with and you need to say to be more like Jesus I need to make it right it's not weird it's not awkward we're a family we have a couple leaders in the back if you want to talk to somebody if you want to come up here and pray you follow the leading of God been in the guys sing